Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. They used to be these Hardy Boy mystery books, right? Yeah, I remember the Hardy Boys. All of books, right? Yeah. I always thought the Hardy Boys were like two niggas from Detroit. Like, <laughs> like I could like... I was surprised when I started going to regular school. Oh, the Hardy Boys fight! Right, it's not that the Hardy Boys is just James and Darrell yeah. solving mysteries. Yep, there it is, there it is, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another phenomenal episode of My Mama Told Me, the podcast where we dive deep, deep into the pockets of black conspiracy theories, and we work to finally prove that Montel Williams is planning to murder the second husband and restore his relationship with Kamala Harris. That's right, he is going to seek his vengeance. He lost a good one, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to stand outside of Kamala's house holding up a boombox playing uh, Mrs. Officer by, by Bobby Valentino. Wee, 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 like a cop car he's going to get her back. I'm your host, Langston Kerman. I'm happy to be here as always. I uh, have been reading through some of the wonderful uh, notes that people have been sending us over about the podcast and so many kind words, a lot of people saying very sweet things and a few people correcting some of the stupid things that I say, one of which I'd love to read to you all today, a message that came from a gentleman named Corey Stewart. I think it's a gentleman. It could be a lady. I don't know. It don't matter. But uh, Corey sent us that basically... uh, in reference to the Paul is dead theory that we discussed where Paul McCartney was said to have died in a car crash and and uh, 
no longer was actually Paul McCartney, but was being played by a different person. Uh, he said, you're correct about Paul being interpreted as dead because he's shoeless, but there's more. This is the stuff I didn't get to. My dad, a boomer, Beatles fanatic, explained the theory to me this way. First in line is John Lennon. He's in an all-white suit, has long hair, and a long beard. He represents God. Next comes Ringo Starr in a three-piece suit, sharp mutton chops, and shiny black shoes. He's the preacher. Next is Paul McCartney, the corpse, shoeless in the suit. Finally, George Harrison is dressed in all denim, a durable working-class outfit. He's the undertaker. Now, he says these interpretations vary, but he thinks that the Beatles are basically putting us on. He personally doesn't believe that Paul is dead, but he does believe the Beatles and their management are basically playing in to the rumors to help people uh, give a subtle nod to the people at home. And I say to all that, white people have a freedom that nobody else has. Good for you, white people, for being able to have antics of, of murdered people on your album covers and still be celebrating. It's, it's a fun game you guys get to play, and I'm very jealous of it. Anyway, my guest today, I'm super excited that he's here. We often talk to comedians, but we don't often talk to bright people. And this is an exciting turn of events for us. He's great, brilliant thinker. You know him as a writer at theroot.com. Please give it up for my guest, Mr. Michael Harriet, everybody. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for yeah, having me. Yeah, I'm excited you're here. So, so Paul McCartney is supposed to be alive? He's supposed to be dead because he's one of the two Beatles that technically is, quote unquote, still alive. But there was yeah. a theory that when he was in a car crash in the 60s, I think it's the 60s, that he had died in that car crash and they replaced him with like a, a double and kept like living the life out of Paul McCartney, despite the fact that he was a dead man. So you want to hear an interesting story before we get started? Hell yeah. Paul I McCartney love and the Beatles. So years ago, right? In, I can't remember which year, right? But there was a preacher in Detroit who wanted to raise money for the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Bought Martin Luther King up, right? And all the stars showed up. And they just want, they didn't really, I guess they, they gave money, but they were really there because everybody was talking about this preacher's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so they kept asking, are you going to let the preacher's daughter sing? But Martin yeah. Luther King didn't want the them to let the girl sing because she was 14 years old and she was pregnant. Oh. But finally, the, the organ player says, look, I'm not going to play for anyone unless you let this girl sing. She comes out, blows the audience away, gets a record contract. Her name is Aretha Franklin. Damn. So, okay. And, All right. <laughs> and and this, this gets crazy, right? One of the people there at the concert was Little Richard. He asked the, mm. the organ player to go on tour with him. And the organ player goes on tour with him, meets the Beatles in Germany. And to this day, that organ player, Billy Preston, is the only musician besides the Beatles that's ever been credited on a Beatles album. Wow. Beatles, all because Martin Luther King didn't want. I was about to say, Aretha all because... <laughs> All because Martin Luther King was being a hater and trying yeah. to keep this young lady from shining and doing the thing that she wanted to do. And now that we get this, yeah, yeah this organ player says, no, I won't. And he becomes the man and she becomes the lady. Ah, that's a great story. Yeah. 
See, this is the kind of uh, utility that comedians don't bring to the podcast. We just talk about butt stuff, and that ain't helpful. I need I need good stories like this one. I know butt stuff too, though. <laughs> good, thank God, because I'm not planning on changing who I am. Uh, so as long as we're both at home, we'll we'll have a great time together. I'm excited about your conspiracy theory because I think that it it sort of is a umbrella conspiracy theory, if that makes sense. It really hits a lot of uh, places all at once in a way that I think other conspiracy theories are not often able to do. But you said, my mama told me. White people ain't got no sense. Yeah, man. Um, so the backstory is that I was raised in a small town in South Carolina. And like mm-hmm. a, the weird thing about the town is that the black part of town where the black people live is a perfect square. And okay. I was home and my mom, she was, well, my, everybody, my family, my, my mom, her sisters were Black Panthers. And so she homeschooled us. And so I really never met or was around white people until I was a teenager. Yeah. When I started going to, to public school. And whenever you would ask anything about like something you'd see on TV, is it true? And she's like, well, you know, white people ain't got no sense. <laughs> and, and so when I went to school, they skipped me two grades and put me in this gifted and talented program. And I realized like all of these, I was the only black kid in this program and I was smaller than everybody else, but they weren't particularly smarter than all the black kids up in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And I realized, like, they not that smart. My mama was right. White people ain't got no sense. And, like, (laughs) they just know the system. And that thing manifests itself in all kinds of ways throughout my life, man. You know, when I think about, like, they think we we are less intelligent because they define what intelligence is, right? Sure. So, So think about this, right? So what is intelligence, right? So, if you do calculus in your head, is that intelligent, mm-hmm. right? So think about this. Take Steph Curry. What he's doing when he's shooting a shot on one leg being pushed and fouled is he's calculating a parabola on the fly. Right. In his head. Like, that's got to be a sort of intelligence because he's not stronger than anybody else. He's not no. quicker than anybody else. He's not bigger than anybody else. He's just... It's just his mind has a level of accuracy in the ability to cal- calculate that ours don't have. That's a sort of intelligence. I love what you're saying here because I do think that it's a often overlooked and a very difficult conversation to sometimes have with people is that, to your point, intelligence became this standardized conversation. You're either mm-hmm. smart or you aren't. And the standard was set by a very specific group of people. You all decided Okay, it's going to require you to take this many trig classes and learn these kinds of literature to qualify how smart you are. When in fact, there's a bunch of motherfuckers running around here who are real smart and real good at stuff that the average person, even if they are exceptional students, could never pull off. Right, right, man. I, 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 I was listening to the one of the people who started Rockefeller Records with Jay Z and Dame Dash. I forgot the third guy's name, Kareem Biggs. Yeah. And so Kareem Biggs was saying, uh, there was another guy on the podcast who was just like a, a worker at Rockefeller. And he said he was so sad when Rockefeller 
uh, sold itself, mm-hmm. right? And Kareem says, well, we always knew, like just being from the streets, just being in the game, that there was going to be a point where they offered us, someone offered us more money than yeah. this record company was worth, right? And that's when we just had to decide what that amount was. And our whole journey was deciding what that amount was. And I was thinking about that, like these three guys from the streets, man, they that's a really a master's level economics class yeah. and opportunity cost, right? But they just figure that shit out themselves. Right. That at some point, look, somebody's going to try to buy out this business and we have to decide collectively what this business is worth. And, you know, you calculate in the fact that, like, they weren't even friends at the time, which complicates, like, okay, how do you split up this business that otherwise we would have probably shared equally or whatever the fuck their plan was. But to your point, it's like they didn't have to take an economy class to figure that out. They just kind of they knew they they were able to to figure that out on their own. And that is a a massive amount of intelligence that we never celebrate through it's certainly through any traditional learning. Right. Cause they just, I think what I learned, right. Is that by me learning outside of school and then going to school, cause I really always tell people I've never really never learned anything in a classroom. Yeah. But I realized that what school does is teach you how to absorb the information in the way that they're giving it to you. Yeah. Right. I remember one time, man, I was, my mom used to teach vacation Bible school. And we went to vacation Bible school one day. And they asked me, like, I was like six, seven years old. And they asked me my timetables. And I didn't know my timetables. Man, my mom was so embarrassed. She made me (laughs) go home and learn my timetables. But here's the thing, right? I just got on a calculator. I figured out how multiplication works. But no one ever told me, just think about this. No one ever told you, like, Oh, you don't have to learn past 12. Like, why right. do we stop at 12? Right? Yeah. Why? Like, nobody can answer that question for me. Why do we stop learning? At t- like, and so I went to school years later and we would take these time tests every Thursday, these time math tests. And the teacher would take off points for me, not showing my work. And I was like, what do you mean showing your work? Like, you don't know your 16 timetables? Right. You don't know your 18 timetables? Why am I needing to demonstrate math to you when I yeah. did the math? You Like, you I, gotta know stop. It. I don't I know have it. to show seven times eight, but I don't I don't have to show 16 times 14. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Sure. But it's because you learn to memorize the things that they told you. Listen, one of my biggest fears in the world is having, and I used to be a teacher, but I worked in, uh, I worked in English, so I had nothing to do yeah. with math. But the very idea of somebody coming to me and saying, why is one plus one two is like, I don't know, bro. It just is. That's, that's what they told me. That's what I'm telling you. What the fuck do you want from me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They don't teach us to think critically. They don't teach us to think. They teach us to memorize the things that they tell us. Which is, I think, and I don't know if it was like, this might be, this sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it it fosters a reality that you got to follow directions for the rest of your life, right? Mm. Like when people tell me something, I automatically, as a skeptic, say, well, let me find out if this is true. I like what you're saying here, because I think that this sort of circles us back into the conversation about white people and their sense or lack thereof is is what we're saying is or what you're saying is, is that 
there are more things societally that we should be skeptical of, that we should take a second to at least find our own answer for. And instead, we are sort of like following the rules that are placed in front of us because that's how we're conditioned from a young age. Like, all right, exactly. I'm not going to push back on these things because if I do, I'm at risk of uh, whatever the fuck we think we're at risk of by not, you know, exploring further. And back to the conspiracy, white people live in a world that is built for them. It's built off of the ways that they were taught. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's like living in a padded room for your entire life and thinking you're indestructible. Mm-hmm. Right, they think that they're stronger. Like I got strong shoulders, bro. Because when I run into the wall, it don't <laughs> ever hurt, bro. You living in a world that is padded for you. Oh no, dog! I like walls against my shoulder. It don't even affect yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like no, actually, regular walls hurt a lot. And if you just yeah. tried the regular wall, I assure you, you'll feel differently about all of this. Also, there's something I'm really curious about in what you're saying because you're talking about your mom homeschooling you. And never introducing you to like white information, right? That right. like she she starts you off by just learning what she would consider non-white information up to this point. And I, I'm wondering what that is. Do you know what I mean? I'm a person who I didn't I wasn't homeschooled. I went to white schools and white institutions, not my whole life, but most of my life. And I'm curious what what qualified specifically as non-white stuff up to that point. Right. And so I don't think it's like she wasn't teaching me like like playing Farrakhan speeches in my sleep or no shit like that. Sure. Right? <laughs> but it was like it was like You don't know that. We li- she might have been playing that shit in yeah, your sleep and that's why right. you're in here now. But people tell me a lot that I don't know how to talk to white people because I think when I look at people we inherit a subconscious deference to white people mm-hmm. that like we don't even realize like even as unapologetic as we want to be a lot of people don't realize that they have it right like i don't think white people are smarter when i go into a classroom when i was growing up she would change all of the names in the books that she like if if she would buy us regular books, right? Yeah. But she would change them to like the names of our cousins and the names of our, and so, <laughs> right? And so we live in a world where like subconsciously we think we're like planets revolving around a white sun. And I've never had that thing. I was like, I, you know, I just assumed that there were, until I was like a teenager, that there were more black people in America than white people. Like, I mm-hmm. I mostly saw, like, that was a shock to me, right? Yeah. And so, so I talk to white people still to this day, like, I talk to black people, and they, a lot of times, take it as an insult, right? Just because I talk to them, like, no black right. person. Right. Familiarity of a human that that right. is not better than you, that does not require some sort of, like, uh, code switching as it like, were to to make them feel comfortable, it's just, hey, motherfucker, this is this how yeah. I talk. Welcome home. Like just like one of the things that kind of went viral last year was I saw this clip of Pete Buttigieg talking about black people need role models. You know, sure. that's how you improve <laughs> the schools, right? And so, you know, I could have written something that said, you know, this is wrong, but I talked to him like. 
Pete in the name of the, the title of the article was Pete Buttigieg is a lying motherfucker, right? Because right. he was lying. You can't go to Harvard and study as much information and consume as much information as he has. And then your answer to improving the school system is we need role models. But you know the average white school district gets, what, $1,555 more per student than mm-hmm. the average black majority black school district. You know that black schools don't have the kind of algebra and, and high math classes that black schools. But you want to say is about role models. Black women are the most educated group of people in the country. Literally right. the most educated. And so how are you going to be in a black neighborhood and don't see a role model as far as right. an education role model? Right? Yeah. And y'all, I, I, plus, y'all put us in these neighborhoods so black people live next to lawyers and doctors and engineers and garbage men and people who work at McDonald's. Every black person knows a black, somebody black successful. So, I mean, it's a stupid argument to make. And the only person who would make it is somebody who's just in a room full of white people and decided to lie to make them feel comfortable. Right. And I think I think you're getting into something that I've I've been feeling a lot lately is that we we constantly in this country are finding ourselves in these negotiations. Right. Where like Pete Buttigieg is is put in front of us and we're told that he's a good guy. This is a nice man and we should let the nice man say things about a community that he supposedly cares about. But the reality is he don't know nothing about black people. He doesn't have any business talking about black people. And the fact that he happens to come from a minority community as a queer person doesn't make him any more connected to us. So he doesn't get to speak from a position of expertise. And we shouldn't sit there and pretend like he could just because he's, quote unquote, a nice man. Right. Exactly. Man, he got you got two parents who were professors. You went to one of the most elite private schools in America mm-hmm. and you were going to tell me like, you know, about black schools. How? Yeah. Like you went to, you went to an elite private school and then you went to Harvard. Like, what you know? And you're the mayor of a city that uh, mostly complains about how indifferent you are to its black yep. population. It's exactly. not like we're sitting on like a dude who's demonstrated uh, years of care and, and carefulness in the way that he's treated the community. He's judging in front of a room full of white people. Right. And the crazy thing is, is when you think about like all of that stuff that we've been saying, right, to have a system and a world and a country like that and just go blindly along, you can't have any sense to live in that kind of world, right? Like if you lived in an apartment with thin walls and (laughs) you heard the man next door beating his wife every night Uh and you just put in earplugs. You don't have any sense, bro. Yeah. You don't have the calm, not even common sense. Like you don't have humanity in you. Yes. Right? I love what you're saying here because I think that that at its essence really will help clarify for our listeners exactly what not having sense is. So it's not that the system in and of itself means that white people don't have sense. The system was built by you. Obviously, you're going to try to, you know, thrive in the system that's built by you, white people. Good for you, I guess. I don't know. But more importantly, this undying faith in a system that is clearly flawed, that is clearly broken and clearly not assisting anyone else around it. And then being like, yeah, it's for everybody. We're good. I don't know. Figure it out is insane. And so, yeah, y'all ain't got no sense. As long as you keep selling the system to me, you out of your damn mind. 
Right. To know black people go to inferior schools and to think they're less intelligent. You can't have any sense. To think that there is something innate about black people that makes them keep getting shot to the by the police. Like we are uh, we magnetic to bullets. <laughs> like <laughs> all these what, delicious like bullets. I can't get enough right. of them. I, like, oh. What the hell are you thinking? There is no logical answer to all of these disparities except racism or the world doesn't make sense. Like to mm-hmm. think you live in a logical world and to see these disparities and to keep skating by like a figure skater in the Olympics, bro, you can't have any <laughs> sense. White people ain't got no sense. You ain't got no sense, white people. You, you're skating by, but we time your heart and we going to fuck up your knees. We coming, we coming for your knees, white people. We're done with this shit. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with more Michael Harriet and more My Mama Told Me. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. And we are back. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're back here with more Michael Harriet. More of my mama told me. It was fun watching your face through those drops. You had no idea what was happening. And honestly, me neither. I just be pressing stuff and it's all a surprise yeah. every single time. <laughs> you're you're obviously a, a journalist. You're a man who knows a lot of stuff. I would love to dig into some research about your subject. Okay. Specifically, because it's such a broad conversation i thought one of the most effective ways to enter this in terms of like uh attempting to add a little bit of uh qualifying to it was to talk a little bit about whether or not appealing to people's humanity actually works right how much of us actually attempting to get white people to see us as human beings is an effective effort or if it's just all in vain would you consider that a fair entrance and e not yeah. an easy one, but certainly a fair one? Oh, yes. Yes. It's a subject I write and talk a lot about. So, yeah. Great. So, let's so I, I found a little bit on the, this article from and it was really more of a case study from this uh, from the European Journal of Social Psychology that basically suggested. And this was really fascinating that appealing to common humanity actually reduces social change. That it doesn't make things better. It actually makes things socially worse, but it does increase the uh, connection and sort of like bonding in smaller social subsets. So it doesn't fix humanity, but it does make us feel closer in these smaller groups. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely uh, believe that. Right. Like we see it all throughout history. Right. So mm -hmm. let's take like this is a subject that everybody knows about the civil rights movement. Right. Yeah. So the civil rights movement, we often think about like because now we, Martin Luther King is this great hero. Right. We are forget about like, Martin, white people hated Martin Luther King when he died. Yeah. Right? Martin Luther King was literally one of the most peaceful people in American history. Yeah. And the FBI wrote him a letter and told him to kill himself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So so. You know, if you you can't get any more placid and innocuous as Martin Luther King, he said, we are going to fight hate with love. And mm -hmm. they killed him for that. Sure. Right? So if you if, if love is the greatest thing that you can offer to humanity, and that's mm -hmm. what he offered to humanity, that was his message. And they killed him. Yeah. Then. There is no logical reason to believe that appealing to white people's humanity will get us anyway. Uh, in the year 1919, there were hundreds of riots all across the United States. It was called right. the, the Red Summer of 1919. And the reason those riots existed, like they just popped up all across the United States, was because for the first time, black soldiers had gone into the army and fought in World War One, And when they returned, white people were upset generally because <laughs> they were looking them in the eyes and treating them, treating white people as their equals, right? Because they had been in Paris and all over Europe and in the Netherlands and in Africa. And they came back and they had money. And, and white people killed them for that right sure white people uh felt very frustrated that black people came back with confidence and uh, a new self-esteem and they were like fuck this i'd rather you die than believe in yourself right so there is no 
reason to think that appeal, like just simple appeal to humanity, will give us some sort of like leg up. Like, first of all, we exist in this world, so if they don't see us as humans from the beginning, it is hard to imagine what else we could do to engender that. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that the study says, and I think that this is super useful to what you're already pointing out with examples, is that basically humans tend to categorize themselves, whether uh, intentionally or unintentionally, at three levels. They're uh, with increasing sort of like levels of inclusiveness. There's the personal, the social, and then the grander human, right? And we're able to shift and expand those groups as necessary, depending on who we're talking to and uh, who, I guess, qualifies to fit within those groups, meaning like uh, my personal might just be my friends and my family. But then if my, uh, you know, wife now expands my group by bringing in a new friend, that person then gets under that umbrella. And similarly, in the social, I might identify with black people, but then I might also identify with like an expanding sense of like minorities, depending on what's happening in the world or whatever, whatever. But one of the things that the research sort of shows is that it is extremely rare for people to actually expand beyond the social into the human that like no matter what it is, we whatever's wrong with human beings, we can't ever make it from social, meaning that smaller subset of black people into world issues. I, I wonder why that is. Like, I, can't, I wouldn't presume to know why that is. But I think just generally human beings, first of all, tend to congregate in tribes or groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, like, like, just as human animals, right, we want an advantage, right? And so, you know, if you're white and I'm black, you know, a white person kind of knows that in America they got an advantage over you, like yeah. just living in this country. And I think theoretically sometimes they might want to eliminate that advantage, like and be a good person theoretically. Yeah. Right? But that means also that they got to compete with more people for what, food, money, mm-hmm. or whatever. So... Like I think maybe like I could see generally what white people might want to like in their heads say we are all one. But when it comes push comes to shove, right? And it's one piece of meat. Yeah. And you hungry and I'm <laughs> hungry, you want the whole piece of meat or you want to split it with, with the black dude? Right. And I I think that's a really important thing that it sort of gets into is that this subgrouping this aligning, right? So like in the case of looking at the George Floyd based off of what you're talking about, there were a lot of people after George Floyd dies who go like, this is awful. I hate that this is happening to black people. I want to do something. But effectively, if we're truly being honest, if we're living in a world where people are truly being honest, there's not that much you can do without stealing food from your own mouth. And so because people are unwilling to fully steal the food from their own mouth, Y'all ain't going to do that much. You're going to feel bad. You ain't going to necessarily like uh party in the streets about this shit. But nah, dog, I'm not going hungry. I figure it out. You we all eating. Go ahead. Right. Right. Like, because I mean, the truth is, this. I mean, this shit is hard being black. Right. And 
Like, I want to be with you, bruh, but, like, you know, that getting shot by the police and going to first schools and, you know, people following you around in the store. Like, I'm with you, man, but, like, right. I mean, I'm going to let you have this one. Like, this ain't really my thing. It's just because people generally seek the easier path in life. Mm-hmm. And it, I think... I think part of what's interesting in this uh, study that they did was they did find that the most common way that people did appeal to humanity or sort of recategorize for humanity was actually coming from the victims of these situations. So it's super unlikely that somebody who is the perpetrator of the crime to then uh, like recognize the humanity in the person that they hurt. Nazis ain't going to see Jews as human. Vice versa, it's more likely that Jews, the victims of this crime, are able to see the humanity in the Nazis in part because it's the only way that you can move forward in your own life, in your own subgroups. That like if you spend your whole life sort of being engulfed in this hatred, you're never going to be able to like take steps forward and then eventually like build a life, be happy, grow as a human, all that stuff. Right, it's that commonality, man. It's that commonality where it's like people in a foxhole in war, right? It, we share this thing, we share this moment, and that bonds us forever. So, mm-hmm. so victims are m- probably more likely to bond than, like, you know, the people who have never suffered those kinds of things. Yes, and that's exactly what the the study says: is that not only does it make us appeal to the humanity of our oppressor, which is you know effectively not helpful because the oppressor doesn't see me as a human at the same time, but it also creates a deeper bond with the subgroup that I already exist in. So now I'm su- I'm holding super tight to this subgroup, and it doesn't allow me to see anything past that sort of conversation, right? Which is really the brilliance of like documents like the Constitution. You know what I mean? Because the Constitution tells you all this shit about how valuable all humans are, that like every man is created equal. We all have these inalienable rights, blah, 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 blah. But the reality is you're talking to very specific people who are going to see themselves in a very specific subgroup and never actually see the other humans involved in this conversation. So you're only affirming the evils in people and not actually actualizing the shit that we really need which is all of us being legit equal. It makes me wonder what's the, what the answer is, though. Like, if you can't appeal to someone's humanity, then what do you appeal to? And like, I have this theory that you have to convince people that the dumb stuff that they're doing, the dumb shit that they're doing, hurts them. Racism mm-hmm. hurts white people, too, right? Like, I was talking about Diversity, right? Like people look at diversity. Like, say you own a company and you're trying to increase your diversity efforts, and people look at it as like you're being doing something beneficial to for black people. And I was like, nah. Like when you have a more diverse group of people with different perspective working on something, then you have a better. You end up with a better product. And I was yeah. talking about the news, like. For a long time, for years, like we didn't see no black people on the news, like giving us the news. And what we got is a homogenous perception of the news. And it's interesting to me, like 
So I remember one of the first newsrooms I worked in, right? And they would report the news, like say somebody got shot. They mm-hmm. would report it by reading the police report. Right. <laughs> and I was like, wait, yo, y'all don't police like the least the least trustworthy thing in this whole equation is the police sure. report, right? Like that's where the lies are. They police always, 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 always lie on a police report, right? And if you yeah. go back and look at body cam footage and compare it to police reports, this is invariably true, right? But when you don't have anything but white people in your newsroom, you report the police. And, and, and the problem with that is, it's not because you want to stick it to the police or something. You report lies. Like, you right. are an untrustworthy source of news. Your news is objectively worse because you have all white people who don't know this, right? Yes. And so bringing in some black people, diversifying your newsroom, really makes a better product just because you just got more people. Yeah, I mean, it's to that point, it's the motherfuckers writing essays from Wikipedia the first couple of years where like you there was a while where we didn't know. Right. Where we were like, hey, this is kind of like the new encyclopedia and this is a useful resource. And then at some point we realized, oh, shit, this is just people writing what they think is correct on a document that then gets posted on the Internet. It may or may not be true and quite often is a, a very muddied version of the truth. But you don't get to keep writing your essay from Wikipedia after you've acknowledged that the shit ain't right. And if you do, you ain't got no sense. You acting up. Right. They said Breonna Taylor was okay, was uninjured when they took her to the hospital. They said George <laughs> Floyd was was resisting and he was fine. Like the, the officer restrained him, right? Like until we saw the footage. Remember Walter Scott in South Carolina? Mm-hmm. They said that he attacked the police officer and a man was running away. Opposite direction. One of the the more important things that you're also getting to, and this is a little complicated, is is the ways in which they create these subgroups or force us rather to create our own subgroups through this victimization, through these offenses that are happening to unlike people in a lot of ways that like despite the fact that you and I are black or even better example, despite the fact that George Floyd and I are both black. That's pretty much the end of the shit we have in common. Right. Like that ain't a dude who like in any under any other circumstances, you place us in a room where I just vibe with him. We ain't we ain't got that much to talk about if the man kept living. But unfortunately, because of the crimes that you all keep committing over and over again, I'm forced to create a subgroup with a person who otherwise would not be my subgroup, would not be in my personal circle. Right. But I, I would argue that that you didn't create the subgroup, right? That, that you were you just realized that you were in the subgroup. A hundred percent. It's forced on us. We probably grew up on different sides of the country, mm-hmm. in different worlds, had different upbringings, and this one thing that brings us together wasn't created by us. Like we didn't manifest this, right? We live in a world that are two worlds that are totally different. And the one thing we have in common affects our lives so much that they outweigh like, like, like I lived on a dirt road in the middle of a small southern town, bro. Like we don't probably don't have that much in common. Hell no, right? dog. 
I'm from the but suburbs of we Chicago, baby. We have more in common <laughs> than like, like the average white person because uh-huh. this because of these subgroups they created. Yes, a hundred percent. And I think I think that again is like part of the mastery of like the people who sat down, and I I like to think of it as like an evil twiddling their fingers sort of group of people. But the the genius of what they created is they're forcing us to live in these subgroups that they created, that they spawned and sort of like left us in uh, that block us from actually seeing the people that are like us in similar subgroups. So the reality is that there are poor white people in this country who have such a difficult time with the word privilege and the idea that they somehow have something better than everybody else. And the reality is, if we could have a real conversation, we could clarify exactly what privilege is and how it falls and whether or not they fall under the categories that we're even talking about half the time. But we can't have the conversation because it's just black people and white people and subgroups and and distinct voices that don't actually ever want to see the humanity in the other side. It's it's such a, a complex discussion to have, right? And the part about it is, right, is like the controversy in the discussion. Like, we don't get mad, right? Like, they are the ones who get fragile when you want to have this discussion. Mm -hmm. If we want to talk about black-on-black crime, like I always tell people, black people don't like black-on-black crime either. Like, we got all (laughs) kinds of fraternities and sororities and church groups and and teenage uh, mentorship programs that try to stop it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we want to stop it, too, bro. You can't go into a black church or barbershop or a beauty salon without hearing somebody talk about a nigga who ain't shit. Right. right. We know the ain't shit niggas. Right. Mm-hmm. And if like because it's there are white people who ain't shit, too. And white people know that they got ain't shit white people. Yeah. And all, if only we had to worry about just the ain't shit white people and the ain't shit niggas will be a lot better off than to worry about all the white people. Yes. And I love that. And frankly, I would love a subgroup of ain't shit niggas and a subgroup of ain't shit white people to realize, hey, we're the same. We ain't shit together. And then we can we similarly, the people who are shit can be like, hey, I'm the shit. I don't want nothing to do with whatever that is. And we can separate ourselves from it. It's the way that these subgroups have been created and the way that they're strategically kept in place is the most dangerous, scary part of all of it. I agree with that kind of segregation, bro. I want an <laughs> segregated city. You heard it here first, folks. We're bringing segregation back. And this time, ain't shit niggas are on the wrong sides of the tracks. That's the deal. Yeah. Ain't shit but equal. <laughs> ain't shit but equal. And that that's a hard thing to get to, but we're going to get there. There's one more piece of research that I would love to run past you because I started thinking you asked the question. And I think it's an important one about how do we fix this? Is there any possibility for any change in all of this? And I started to think, well, the most uh, literal uh, attempt at fixing it is through like diversity training. Right. That's what white people always turn to whenever uh, the world is in disarray. They go. We got to train our employees to be more aware of the other colors out there that they probably know about, but are for whatever reason, treating them differently. And one of the things 
I read a Harvard Business Review study that sort of talked about the effectiveness of diversity training and evidence showed that little change or of their behavior happened from white men specifically, despite an increased acknowledgement of bias around them. So throughout like the six months of diversity training that they went through, nobody changed their behavior, but they all went, hey, I see that this is fucked up more than I saw it was fucked up beforehand. And in fact, the only group that did change their behavior was women. Women tended to be a little more open to like uh, to experiencing other groups and other people. But one of the things they pointed out was it was largely junior employee women at the office who were attempting to now reach out to all kinds of people above them, recognizing that like, yo, this world is fucked up and I got to get help wherever I can find it or resources wherever I can find it because I'm naturally going to be mistreated as a woman in these positions already. I guess when you think about it, though, right, when you are in a space like that, like corporate America, Mm -hmm. like the people generally at the top are people who are able to set set aside emotion for the sake of like they're savages, right? Like People who the best football players can play through pain, pain right? Mm-hmm. And they'll hit the hell out of you. They don't want to tackle you, bro. They want to knock you out. Yeah. The best basketball players can pay, play through pain. The best banker will steal your house from under you. Like, I don't care if you ain't got, got your mortgage. I don't care if you're just two days late, bro. Mm-hmm. That's my house. My company gets the profit. And now I'm at the top of the heap. So, I would imagine that those are mostly men who have been, first of all, we are are trained to subvert our feelings, right? Yes. So by the time you get to to the real world, right? Like you've been taught not to cry. You've been taught not to empathize with another human being, right? And so that is the vacuum that allows inequality to flourish. But it's also, this is the crazy thing about it, it is the it's also the thing that allows you to get ahead, right? Yeah. And I think you especially are hitting something on the head with talking about capitalism, right? Because at the end of the day, so much of what whiteness is, is cooked into capitalism. And it's part of how they are able to not see the humanity in other groups is like, look, I'm playing the game. I'm just playing the game the way the game is set up to be played. I'm following the rules as I know them presented to me, not acknowledging that like, hey, the game might be kind of fucked up. Like maybe this ain't how games should be played or certainly we if we are going to play them this way, you should at least be acknowledging like the, uh, I could, I don't know, consider the game in a different way than I've been playing it the whole time. But instead... You're able to treat it like a game, thus detaching yourself from these other groups. And subsequently, even when you're not playing the game, i.e. going to work or shutting down an orphanage because you want to put up a parking lot, whatever the fuck it is, you then detach from the humans because they effectively will make the game harder for you in the future. I agree with you. And going back to the study that you introduced earlier, that is why I think that appealing to humanity does not work. Mm-hmm. What you have to do is not convince them that the game is fucked up because it's fucked up for us. You have to appeal to them and say the game is fucked up because it's fucked up for you too, right? Yeah. So you wouldn't have to stifle all this pain. 
to get ahead mm-hmm. if you just allowed everybody to flourish instead of hoarding all of the resources for yourself. Just take for something like taxes, right? So white people don't want to pay. A lot of people don't want to pay. Conservatives, uh, they don't want, for instance, welfare or uh, socialized medicine because it will take their tax money. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people try to do is say, well, this will help people. There are a lot of people who are sick. And, you know, look at the little Timmy Coffin. <coughs> <laughs> well, what you gonna do about him? You gonna let little Timmy die? Them motherfuckers right. will let little Timmy die. Yeah, fuck little Not Timmy. That's the way you do it, bro. <laughs> what you do is you say, look, everybody has got to have health care, bro. Mm-hmm. Your health care costs so much because you're paying for little Timmy's cough. Anyway, you're going to pay. It's against the law to let Timmy die. Yeah. So what we could do is give everybody some health care and instead of them gouging you because they know you got the insurance plan. And so they pad the little Timmy cough on yours and add a little bit for themselves. Mm-hmm. We just give everybody some and say, you got to take what we give you. And then little Timmy ain't coughing and they ain't taking all of yours. But now, nah, if you want to hoard the resources and let little Timmy cough, it's fucked up. Not because of little Timmy cough, bro, but because they're fucking you too. Right. White people. But like when you have bad schools, you have high unemployment, you have high unemployment, you have high crime. Mm-hmm. Gonna, what do you think those people who are broke and unemployed and uneducated are going to do? They're going to break your car window. And when you break your car window, you're going to say, ah, oh, the niggas. Nah, yeah. bro. <laughs> it's the world. It's the system that you wanted that fucked up your car window, not the niggas. Yeah. And to that point. We could create a system where we catch little Timmy before he even starts coughing, which effectively saves you money. It effectively keeps your car window from being broken in. It's all the things you're saying that we could stop it on some minority report shit before we even get there. But instead, you're allowing it to get to the worst case scenario and then hoarding resources under the presumption that a bunch of people are going to continue to be sick and misbehave simply because that's just how we get down. And that ain't it. Right. Well, I mean, we know, like, from looking at sociological research, that crime correlates to poverty more than it correlates to color, more than it correlates to whether you grew up in a city or a a rural area, more than it correlates to anything, it correlates to poverty. So if you could just get people to stop being poor, then you you decrease crime. How do you do that? Well, you got to educate them. So why are you giving all the poorest people the worst education? You got to give them some better education than even some of the white kids are getting. And then you have let more educated people, a more educated populace equals lower crime, and everybody's living. But if you don't, little Timmy's coughing, and they're going to break your car window. <laughs> I think perfectly said, we're going to take one more break. We'll be back with more Michael Harriet and more My Mama Told Me. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. 
you'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts connect the alarm change the podcast you stream connect the snooze 10 more minutes to dream connect the shower lather up with the news sports talk comedians or movie reviews connect with that 3 hour philosophy show Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. And we are back. Yeah, we're back here with more Michael Harriet. More my mama told me we're still talking about the dangers of white people and their nonsense. They ain't got no sense and they're creating nonsense all around us, which ultimately is adding to the destruction of the world, humanity as a whole. I I would love for us to to close this bad boy out with a game if you're down for it. Let's play a a, a fun game. That I like to call white, white lies. lies. Ugly, you are disgusting. I'm going to kill you. Give me two hundred dollars. White lies. This is a, a very fun game where I, Michael, will introduce to you a, a traditional white conspiracy theory, one that white people have maintained for quite a while, and I would love for you to just unpack exactly why you think white people are so invested in this conspiracy theory what do you think they're holding on to yeah exactly (laughs) perfect yeah this is a classic i think you're gonna love it uh white people for a while have maintained that most people in politics are uh secretly lizard people i'm sure you've heard that before that they Mm -hmm. that they're uh they're actually like lizard alien people from i guess the bottom of the earth sometimes i hear the bottom of the earth sometimes i hear outer space but they're lizard people hiding in fleshy skin and they're planning our our ultimate destruction despite appearing to be uh servants 
of, you know, justice and all that other stuff. My question for you is, why do you think white people referring to our our leaders and best as lizard people is so important to them? Okay, so I gave you two answers, right? So I know the answer, right? So (laughs) perfect. (laughs) The truth is that this idea came from an idea that was generated like in the early Christian church that the people who were nobility, the clergy class, they were actually not just ordained by God, right? But they were a different bloodline mm. than like like why would you peasant in France just think, oh, the guy who's leading me is going to pass it down to his son. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. Unless you thought like there was some kind of inherited bloodline that was different from yours, right? So that is an idea that is generated, that's been generated over other thousands of years, right? And like, if you are a white person in America, that seems like the only logical answer to why you can't get <laughs> in. So I don't know, do, do y'all have Waffle Houses in, in LA, right? Well, I mean, you know I, I'm Waffle familiar. I think we're all familiar yeah. with the Waffle House. Yeah. yeah. Actually, so I had this thought at Denny's the first time I had it. Mm-hmm. But I was at a Denny's and it was like after the club. It was like 3 a.m. It was like this 58-year-old white man sweeping up in a Denny's at 3 a.m. And I'm God, thinking, damn. what the fuck happened? <laughs> like a white man <laughs> in the worst position. <laughs> but those are the people who believe in it. Like the people who believe in QAnon, right? Like so we know from um, polling data and like the people who are more likely to be Trump supporters are uneducated, white, poor people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's always surprises people that, you know, white people, poor white people generally don't vote. Right. Right. That's what gave Trump this, you know, this big lead, because when Hillary Clinton ran against him. All the previous data says, well, we don't have to worry about the poor white people. And that's mm-hmm. how Trump won, right? So so poor white people, just think about living in a world where, and, and I, this is a quote I stole from somebody, but they have convinced you that you're not a loser. You're a winner who just hasn't won yet. Yeah. And that's how white people think, right? And so... The reason they believe in stuff like lizard people coming from outer space and putting on zipping up human skin and controlling the world is the only other choice a poor, uneducated white person has is to believe that he ain't did enough in his life. Because you got all the opportunities. You Mm -hmm. have the world that is built for you. So why aren't you afraid? My mama always said, you know, I mean, when you talk about people with average intelligence, that means like half of the world is below average intelligence. Right. And so, but nobody thinks that they're dumb. Nobody thinks that they're dumb and nobody thinks that they're dressed bad and everybody thinks they're funny. That's three things that you can always invariably count on. That's why people who make you laugh are generally more intelligent than people who are serious. Yeah. Like, like, and I'm not just saying that because I'm, I'm a comedian and it's actual like, like, generally well listen like, i'm gonna repeat ad- it to a lot of people to right. uh to sell my own brand but oh you didn't know that right <laughs> like like there are studies that shows like people in comedy have higher iqs hell yeah like i'll take it 
sure it's the standardized white test, but hell yeah, I'll 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 yeah. own that shit. Right. <laughs> that is probably yeah, because I mean, you think about what comedy is, right? The gift of words and the ability to like kind of pull this one joyous emotion out of people. Mm-hmm. You have to exercise a muscle to do that. But let's go back to the lizard people, right? So yeah. that thing start with Dave. It start with a dude named David Ick, who started this uh, theory that. They, these royal bloodlines, it goes back to the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. These people came from outer space and they controlled the world through this system of communication. And sometimes they, you know, you might catch them with their skins off. And that was a goal. Like, you know, remember when, you know, this is probably before your time too. Remember Alex Jones snuck into this, uh, this the grove uh, where all these this is the actual thing right where all these rich people meet every year like mm-hmm. Bill Clinton rich and powerful people and he thought he, he was going to catch them like un- he literally thought right. he was going to catch them unzipping their the he was like skins, right? thinking they're going to be in there drinking goat blood and like doing evil shit and they were just being regular people right but the truth is it goes back to what you were talking about earlier right these subgroups. Like victims create subgroups easier than the people who are perpetuating the oppression, right? And rich people, like black people think white people stick together. White people don't stick together. You know, we think rich people stick together. Rich people don't stick together, right? Like we have these unfounded notions that the only way these people can achieve what they achieve is through some collective effort when the truth is that they have just built a system like they don't have to wear no white. Like if you gave me the choice of reconfiguring the school system, the economic system, the banking system, having generational wealth, bruh, you might think I came from outer space yeah. too. I be so dope. Yeah. But I would be like, like all my people would, you know what I'm saying? We'd have the best schools, you know, Everybody would be clapping on beat and laughing at the white people. <laughs> It'd be, you know, great potato salad at McDonald's. <laughs> and people would think, well, they must be got know some kind of magic shit sure. to do all of that. Nah, but you you built and control a system. I think you're hitting on something that that uh certainly is resonating with me. I've been watching a shit ton of The Crown lately. I don't know if you watch The Crown at all. No, nah, I ha- I hadn't gotten into it, man. Well, yeah. I I like it because it's just proof that uh it's a lot of what you're saying and in, in uh they're all scumbags and gross people, but in a very specific way that I'm I'm fascinated by. But one of the things that my wife and I were talking about the other day was how insane it is that people are rooting for the bloodline of a family that's held above them, right? That they're literally cheering outside because this bloodline has continued of people who are going to, they're basically paying taxes every year to maintain like a giant palace for them to go do stupid shit in. And one of the things that I think you're getting to is they do legitimately think To cheer for them, you have to legitimately think that their blood is different than yours, that they are, in fact, this blessed group that deserves this sort of like celebration. And this is where, you know, the lizard people are slightly different, but kind of the same is that you can only in America, you can only make sense of the difference that these white people have 
the way they've excelled, the way they've they've made it is to believe that their blood is different than yours, that they're cold blooded and sort of like some sort of alien creature, because otherwise you have to make peace with the fact that you're just a regular white dude who didn't make it despite the math working in your favor. Right. But the cra- you know what the crazy thing about that is, right? Like that extends to us, too. Right. Like the people who believe that there are lizard people who control the banking industry mm-hmm. also believe that we have something in our blood that makes us inferior to them. Right. right. So it's not just like the lizard shit. Like it, it's crazy. And it don't, again, white people ain't, it sounds like white people ain't got no sense. If I told you that there were lizard people who won't let me get a loan and that's why I can't get ahead, you would say he ain't got no sense. Yeah. But <laughs> if I got mad, because a black person moved next door to me or my daughter bought home a black person that she was dating. Mm-hmm. You would say, I mean, that seems logical. It is the same insanity, right. right? It literally doesn't make any sense, right? It is as crazy as lizard people with zip up skin, <laughs> but we've accepted one and don't like most of us, have accepted the other. Like you have to correct black people all of the time too. Like they, you know, you I'll hit see black people like white people do this with their money, or white people, you know, they teach their kids how to speak a foreign. I was just correcting somebody the other day on Twitter. White people teach their kids how to speak a foreign language. And they actually black people are more likely to speak a foreign language than white people. Like it's just this thing that we believe because like they get better schools. Yeah. And and be, like white people get keep their money, like do this with their money. Bro, they got extra money because it is generational. Right. Like, it is intergenerational. They have the better schools, they have the better platforms, they have all like it is and it is not that they don't work for that money. It is that they have placed barriers in front of us so that if we put forth the same effort as a mediocre white man. We're going to be poor and that white boy going to be okay. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying. And I think it's the the almost the perfect note for us to end on is that this is truly about maintaining a type of uh, a functionality in their own world. That it, it, to your point, they ain't got no sense and they know they ain't got no sense. But the only way that you can keep thriving in a situation where you ain't got no sense is to make all of it nonsense, is to make all of it completely nonsensical for everybody around you and then trick a bunch of people who do or potentially could have sense into not having sense with you. Right. It is all insanity. Nothing makes sense. And so you might as well act like they do. Right? Yeah. You can't make sense of racism. Exactly. I love it. Michael, I think we did it. I think we nailed. A, this was this was great. This was super cool. Could you tell the people at home where they can find you, what cool stuff you have going on, any of that? So I have a book coming out in the fall called Black AF History. It is Black as Fuck History of the United States. And I I write every day for TheRoots.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else at M-I-C-H-A-E-L-H-A-R-R-I-O-T. Two R's, one T. Hell yeah. So follow him. Go check out that book, Black AF History. 
history it's going to be dope and as always you can follow me at langston kerman and you can please if you want send us drops send us ideas send us conspiracy theories send us corrections at mymamapod at gmail.com i would love to hear from you and uh bye Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.